join me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word in the book of Ezekiel, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. If you go about halfway through your Bible, maybe two-thirds of the way through, if I'm you know, just judging by distance here, you'll probably land on Ezekiel. Uh, I go, in terms of my major prophets, we've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, where we'll be today as we conclude this series uh, entitled God's Glory in the Church. We have looked the last five weeks at God's glory in those five functions of the church, worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and fellowship. And today we look uh, not at one of those five functions, but at something that uh, all of us as believers need to learn to do, even as we follow Christ and live for His glory, which is rest, God's glory and rest. I wonder, what is rest really? Is it a vacation? If anyone ever needed one, if anyone ever needed a vacation, it was George Washington, the first president of these United States. After 45 years in public ministry, and after several as president, in 1796, he declined to be considered for further re-election. And he noted in the last words of his farewell address these, these words. He said, I anticipate with pleasing expectation the sweet enjoyment of partaking in the midst of my fellow citizens, the benign influence of good laws under a free government, the ever-favored object of my heart, and the happy reward, as I trust, of our mutual cares, labors, and dangers. Rest for Washington was not a total retreat from life after public ministry, but rather to enjoy the fruit of the union's labor in codifying laws and just institutions. Rest for him was to live as one of the people having done all that he could to, to, to lead the nation to be what it was at that time, to then live under the laws that he had led it to establish. Rest for him was living, living like everybody else. What about the great reformer Martin Luther? When he was brought up on charges of heresy for his 95 arguments against the Catholic Church's practice of selling indulgences, he was asked if he would recant, and he replied, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I, can do, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. For Luther, rest was not escaping the charges of heresy to live a quiet life in the back hills of Germany, but rather trusting the Word and the power of God to sustain him in the midst of his trial. That's what rest was for Luther. We noted several weeks ago in our study of Hebrews that rest is not simply a spiritual vacation. It's not just a weekend in the Christian life, so to speak, but rather a resting in our confidence, a, a setting down in our confidence in the power of God. When we think of rest as a part of our ministry as a church, I should like for us to think of it and pray for it this way, as a resting in the power of God to do through us and even apart from us what only he can do. From Ezekiel 37 today, I want for us to glean this main idea and, and to bring our thoughts to conclude on this, that God is glorified in the church when they rest in his ability, when they sit down in confidence in his ability. I pray that God's word would lead us to entrust all of our efforts together to the power of the Word and to the Spirit of God to do only what He is capable of doing. 
And so we turn to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet of the people of Israel who was carried off into exile in Babylon when he was about 25 years old with the first wave of those that were carried into exile. He spent all of his public uh, prophetic ministry as an alien in a foreign land in Babylon. Chapters 1 through 36 of Ezekiel are all pretty bad for the people of Israel. Exile, we see from God through the mouth of Ezekiel, is God's discipline for the people of Israel's unfaithfulness. It is the covenantal consequence for their uh, idolatry and, and adultery against God. If we were to go back and look at the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, we would see there God laying out covenant blessings and covenant curses for his people. And the covenant curses look exactly like what happens to them as they're carried off into exile. Ezekiel is essentially saying to the people of Israel, all that you are experiencing is what God promised that he would bring upon you if you were unfaithful to his covenant. But around chapter 36, verses 22 through 24, the tone of Ezekiel changes. There we read, Therefore, God says to Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord." declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. For 36 chapters, it's been bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news for the people of Israel. Then in chapter 36, God says, but I'm going to do something for my sake that will benefit you. I'm going to bring you back to be my people that the world, that the nations might know me. And then in chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, our text this morning, we see a vision from God to the prophet Ezekiel about how this is going to take place, just how the Lord is going to do this thing. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word, Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Prophet Ezekiel recalls, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around and among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he, the Lord, said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God, would you bless us as we study your word this morning? You may be seated. God is glorified in the church when they rest in his ability. As we look at Ezekiel 37, I think it's helpful to first ask the question, what is going on here? This is a a wonderful passage of Scripture, and we want to understand it rightly. So we ask, what is going on? In verses 1 through 6, Ezekiel relays to us this amazing vision that God has given to him. Now, there's a difference between a dream and a vision. We see both in Scripture. Uh, Both are for the purpose, usually, of God revealing something to one of his servants, to one of his prophets, a word that he is to speak to the people or events that are going to take place. The biggest difference between a dream and a vision is that dreams happen when the prophet is sleeping. Visions happen when they are awake. Ezekiel is having a vision. The Spirit of the Lord is showing him something to his eyes and to his senses that, uh, that, that is to represent other spiritual realities and things that the Lord is doing. And so in this vision, the Spirit of the Lord takes Ezekiel to a valley. It is a sort of post-apocalyptic scene. There are bones upon bones upon bones laying all about him on the floor of the valley. They, are, they have been there for a long time. Ezekiel says they're very dry. They've been bleached by the sun. As the Spirit of the Lord leads Ezekiel around to survey all of these bones, the voice of the Lord comes to him and says, Son of man, and he asks him this impossibly hard question, can these bones live? Ezekiel gives the only answer that would be appropriate. He says, O Lord God, you know. Or some of your translations may say, O Lord God, only you know. Is it possible for God to raise bones, dead bones to life? Absolutely. Does Ezekiel know if that is possible for these bones? Not really. He knows only God knows what will happen here. Ezekiel knows that with God, anything is possible. Yes, these bones can live, but the question is, will they? Only God knows. Only if God wills shall these bones live. And God, without directly responding to Ezekiel's response there, God says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. And God almost says, you're right, I do. Watch this. God gives a plan to Ezekiel for how he's going to restore life to these bones. The plan is this. Ezekiel is to speak the word of the Lord to the bones. What an inefficient way to bring life to dead bodies. Talk to him. God says, prophesy, son of man, speak to the bones and say, O dry bones who are dead, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinew upon you and cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God is going to bring these dead bones to life by the power of his word, but for what purpose? as verse 6 says, so that they will know 
that he is the Lord, so that they will know that he is Yahweh, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and perfecter of salvation, the one who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, the only living God. Why does God bring life to dead bones? So that they will know that he is God. This is a purpose that is repeated in verses 13 and 14 of Ezekiel 37 as well. This is this amazing vision, just setting the scene for us here. In verses 7 through 10, we see a divine power on display there in that valley in the middle of Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel gets this command from God, prophesy to the bones. And so in verse 7, as the ever faithful prophet, servant of God, he does. He begins speaking. So I prophesied. Good job, Ezekiel. And as he is speaking, as he's prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord over the bones, things begin to happen, don't they? As I was commanded, and as I prophesied, he says, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Before Ezekiel has even finished speaking the word of the Lord to these dead bones, they begin to move on their own and come together. There is a sound of a rattling or sound of an earthquake, and all of a sudden, as Ezekiel looks on, these bones begin to be covered with sinew and muscle and skin upon them all at the word of the Lord. All as Ezekiel is simply speaking what God commanded him to say. And so he does all of this. And, and then he looks around and behold, there's, there are all of these now not bones, but bodies. But there's still no breath in them. They're still lifeless. Being surrounded by a bunch of lifeless bodies is maybe better than a pile of bones, but still it's not all that much more exciting. And so there's a second word from the Lord. He says in verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Prophesy to the breath, says God, or wind or spirit. The same word in Hebrew, ruach, is translated as breath, wind, or spirit in different places of the Old Testament. And so Ezekiel prophesies to the breath, to the wind, and it comes. It blows. And now, as the wind blows, blows life into these lifeless bodies that were previously piles of dead bones, they all stand around him as a vast army arrayed for battle. What a difference in the scene from where Ezekiel started, right? Verses 11 through 14, the Lord explains to Ezekiel the purpose of the vision. And we see in the explanation of this purpose a confident promise from God to Ezekiel. It is this, that what God has done in the vision, bringing dead bones to life, taking a pile of bones and making them into a standing army, He is going to do in His people Israel. The question is, how will he do it? How will God do for Israel what he's done in this vision amongst these dry bones? By his word and with his spirit. That's how God brings life to dead bodies. That's how God makes vast armies out of piles of bones, by his word and with his spirit. There's a clear parallel and restatement in, this, in these final verses, especially verse 14. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I'll place you in your own land. 
paralleled in Ezekiel 36, just the chapter just before, verses 24 through 29, where the Lord says through Ezekiel this, I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This is a big deal because the reason that Israel is in exile is because they became idolaters. They forsake the one true living God. God says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Again, Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit within you and you will live. Apart from the spirit of the Lord, this is the principle on display here. Apart from the spirit of the Lord, there is no life. There is no resurrection. There is no rescue. Unless God speaks and His Spirit acts, His people and all people are without hope in the world. There is no hope without the Spirit's personal intervening in the hearts of the people for anything good to happen. God promises that He's going to do among the people of Israel who are currently feeling hopeless, feeling lifeless, feeling like dried up bones in the land of exile. God is giving them hope and a promise that He is going to bring them back to life as a people. And the final clauses, the final words of verse 14 should stand out to us as the most encouraging and certain of words that we could read in all of Scripture. The purpose of all that God is doing in bringing His dead people to life is so that they will know that He is the Lord, so that they will know Yahweh personally, so that they will worship Him rightly, so that they will fulfill the purpose for which He has created them and called them to Himself. He is to receive glory and praise as he is known by his people whom he has brought from death to life. Moreover, because God has spoken, he is ensuring his action. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, God says. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. What God has said He will do, the fact that He has said He will do it, ensures that He will do it. He cannot deny Himself. God does not make promises and then go back on them. And this declaration, I have spoken and I will do it, makes new life by the Word of God and the Spirit of God certain for His people. That's what's going on in this text. Ezekiel 37. God giving a promise to bring life to His people by His Word and by His Spirit. So what? What does that have to do with God's glory and rest? What does that have to do with us as a church in the 21st century amid COVID-19 and everything else going on in the world? So what? First this. First takeaway for you. Realize, which means you got to wrap your head around this, Realize that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the source of true life. Realize that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the source of true life. The Word and the Spirit of God brings dead bodies to life in Ezekiel's vision. In the same way that God speaks the world into existence, and in the same way that He breathes life into Adam's body in Genesis 1 and 2, this is how God has always worked. He speaks and His Spirit acts. 
He gives a word and it is accomplished. The truth that we must remember each and every day as Christians is that even as Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were once dead. No better than a pile of sun-bleached bones in the middle of a desolate valley. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But by the grace of God, through the word of the gospel of Jesus, and by the enabling power of his spirit, we have been brought to life so that we might trust him, know Jesus, and live to glorify him in all we do. Dear Christian, your story of coming to faith in Jesus is nothing less than a divine miracle of going from death to life. Spiritually, you are a I was a pile of dead bones until God spoke and his spirit acted and brought us to life. Dear friend, if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship of faith in Jesus. You are, as Scripture says, dead in your sins and trespasses. I care too much about what is true to lie to you. You are a spiritual pile of lifeless bones, and your own conscience reminds you daily that you are not perfect as God your Creator is. I would venture to guess even that much of your own effort in life to bring real purpose and meaning to your day-to-day -day existence have been about as effective to bring life to your soul as rearranging bones on the ground actually brings life to them. You cannot, dear friend, who is not a Christian, bring your own soul to the kind of abundant life that God offers. Only He may do that. What He requires of you, however, is not for you to try harder. It's not for you to attempt to stack the bones of your life upon each other into some semblance of order. What God requires of you is your trusting submission to Him and to His ability to resurrect your soul. God himself has made the way for you to live, dear friend. He gave his own son Jesus to die on a cross to bear the burden of your penalty of sin, to, to pay the debt of sin that you owe God, those sins that keep your soul in deadness. And God raised his son Jesus back to life three days later so that no sin, no trespass, not the tiniest act of rebellion against God could keep you any further bound to death if you placed your soul in the life-giving hands of Jesus, your Savior. This is the good news of the gospel. You are dead, but God gives life through faith in Jesus. Church family at First Baptist West Albuquerque, we do not bring anyone to life. We do not save people. God does. We cannot breathe the breath of life into dry bones, only God can. Christian, he has done it in us by the powerful word of the gospel and through his spirit. And that is how he will do it until Jesus returns. Know this, Christian. The word of God and the spirit of God are the source of true life. Dear friend, outside of relationship with Jesus, I'm so glad you're here today. But know this, that life does not begin. There is no life apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God breathing it into you. To know life, you must know Jesus. To know Jesus, you simply trust your faith, your, your life in faith to Him, admitting you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that He is the one who gave His life to save you. So what? Second takeaway. First, realize that true life is in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Second, know that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the church's true power. 
I'll say that again. Some of you may have missed it. Know that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the church's true power. There you heard it that time. There is much that any church can do. There are many good and caring efforts that we can engage in. There are countless people that we can serve in countless ways. And we should. We should do these things. We should seek to love others as we would desire to love out of a love for God. But let us know this for certain. There is no spiritual power merely in our actions of well-doing. There is no spiritual power in our small actions of well-doing. Our compassion for the hurting is good and right and godly. But on its own, our compassion has no true power to save, has no true power to bring life where there isn't any. Our commitment to Sunday morning and midweek worship and discipling schedules are good and helpful for fostering godly patterns of worship and discipleship in our lives. But these schedules alone are powerless to bring about true Christ-likeness in us. If the Word of God and dependence upon God are absent from our body as a church, or if they're only present in token acknowledgement, then we are powerless. If we only talk about the Word of God insofar as we hold a copy of it as we walk in the building, if we only submit to or relate to the Spirit of God as this impersonal Star Wars-like force out in the world, if we only give token acknowledgement to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we are dead and lifeless as a church. We have no power. A 10-cylinder, 640-horsepower, naturally aspirated Lamborghini Huracan is a $320,000 driveway ornament without gasoline in its tank. And so for us, without the Word of God dwelling richly in us through faith and apart from the Spirit of God enabling us to make disciples for the glory of God, we are, as a church, powerless. A million-dollar blue-roofed paperweight in the heart of Taylor Ranch, Albuquerque. We laugh. Know this, church. Know this. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are our true power. Not our talents, not our charisma, not our gifting, not our building, not our schedule, not our collective good-lookingness. It's not a word. But the power of God in His Word and His Spirit. Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the word of God, the truth that Christ died for sinners and rose again for their salvation. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. So what? Third, rest, church. Brothers and sisters of First West, rest. Sit down in certain confidence in the knowledge that the word of God and the spirit of God will accomplish the will of God. Rest in that. Rest in that. Consider again Ezekiel's vision. Who is it that arranges the bones and lays muscle and skin on them? How are they raised to life as a standing army? Whose effort would rescue the people of Israel from exile in Babylon? God alone. By His Word faithfully delivered and through His Spirit divinely given. 
Ezekiel, on seeing a pile of bones, a pile of ossified remains around him, does not go about attempting to stack them together like so many Lego pieces on that valley floor. He knows that he is helpless to bring life. God says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. In fact, Ezekiel is so aware that only God knows whether these bones can live because he knows that God alone can bring life to dead bodies. And so Ezekiel simply follows the Lord's instruction to do what? Something as foolish as simply speak what God has said to say. The word itself, clearly spoken, does the work of arranging the bones into bodies. The wind alone, which is the Spirit of God, breathes life into them. Ezekiel does nothing. Too often we deceive ourselves into thinking that our methods for doing ministry, the things we do in ministry, small groups, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, organized revivals, that these are the God-ordained means of bringing life to the spiritually dead and bringing us as Christians to abundance in Jesus. Well, the Lord's vision to Ezekiel demonstrates for us that life and salvation and the purposes of God are not accomplished by anything that Ezekiel or the people of Israel can do themselves, much less the church of God, but that His purposes are fulfilled by His Word and through His Spirit. Christian, this is good news. Church, we should rejoice in this. It is good news for the fact that we don't have to rely on our creativity or our own effort or our own abilities at influencing people or the amount of money that we spend on ministry initiatives for God to accomplish His purpose in us and through us. We could have nothing more but a shade tree and a few people with Bibles in their hands to be an effective, powerful church. Now, this does not, however, mean that we get to rest on our laurels. The fact that the Spirit of God and the Word of God accomplish the purposes of God according to His will, this doesn't mean that we sit and do nothing. Ezekiel does not sit and do nothing. He does not bring life to dead bones, but he does have an active role in God's purposes, doesn't he? What is his role? To speak the Word. Prophesy, son of man, speak to these bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded. My dear brothers and sisters, we can rest. We can sit down in certain confidence in the knowledge that God's Word and His Spirit will accomplish all that He purposes, all that He intends. But listen, we who have been brought from death to life by the Word and the Spirit of God must be faithful and willing servants to speak the Word and to trust the Spirit. We have to be faithful to speak the Word and trust the Spirit. I have spoken, says the Lord. I will do it. I point at me. I shouldn't point at me. God says, I have spoken. I will do it. Dear church, at the end of Ezekiel 37, 14, the question for us is this. Do we trust God enough to rest in that promise? Do we trust God enough to rest in that promise? Will we trust him enough to get ourselves out of the way to simply speak the word, Trust the Spirit that God will do what only He can do. Listen, God does all of this in Ezekiel 37 for the people of Israel. Why? So that the world will know that He is the Lord. So that the world will come to know and love and worship Him as their Creator. So that the world will be placed in right relationship with Him. God does this to be glorified in the world, and God is glorified in the church when we rest in His ability to accomplish His purposes. God has made great. He has made famous. 
when he does what only he can do through us and even apart from us in bringing people to salvation through Jesus. His purpose is not to make Ezekiel great. His purpose is not to make Israel glorious. No, his purpose is to be known in the world as the only true God who brings dead souls to life. Our purpose as a church here at First Baptist West Albuquerque is to glorify God, to make him known as the God who brings dead souls to life. We do this by making faithful followers of Jesus Christ, whom God's word reveals as the only way to salvation, who is the word in flesh, who is the one who sends the spirit. And we do this not in our own efforts, not in our own creativity, not by our own charisma or innovation, but in the power and direction and enabling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who alone revives the hearts of sinners. God is glorified in the church when they rest in his ability. May we, church at First Baptist West Albuquerque, may we trust God's will. May we live for his purposes. May we rest, sit down in certain confidence in the abundant power of his word and in his Holy Spirit. We need his help to do so. We do well to pray toward this end. And so pray with me, would you, for God to assist us in resting on him.